This is a big-timing comedy production. Welcome backstage. Uh, I'm here to interview Black Sabbath. I'm a journalist. VIP only. Groupies sleep with rock stars because they want to be near someone famous. We're here because of the music. We are bandits. Are you jumping or am I undermedicated? You're listening to Backstage Pass with Meredith Marks. I'm with the band, okay? Good God, episode 12 is here. I feel like I just started this show. Lucky number 12. Lucky number 12. Hey, Mikey. Hi. And, oh, I've got a goodie. I've got a goodie tonight. It's a good one. I woke up probably, I don't know, a month ago. And I said, I think I'm going to book Mark Schulman today. I'm not kidding. This is a true story. You picked out the drummer. You and he's going to like this story. I did not tell him this story because he's going to listen to this and he's going to just hear it for the first time right now. So, Mark, legit, wasn't like I was dreaming about him or anything, you know, because I'm not weird like that. But I woke up because I've always admired him. I think he does amazing work. He's an incredible drummer. And I woke up and I sat up and I said, I think I'm going to book Mark Schulman today. And I reached out to him and I got a response three hours later. It's good he was wa- booked. It's good to wake up with goals. Oh, <laughs> I'm going, this is uh, pinch me. This is too good to be true. I'm so excited. So um, we have him coming on tonight and I'm super excited to talk to him because he is. I mean, really impressive resume, dude. He's been with so many different people and really admirable, incredibly talented people. And, you know, it's no wonder because he's incredibly talented. I mean, this is a guy who, uh, who's been playing the drums for a really long time, among other instruments and other talents. And we're going to talk to him about them right now. He started out in 1986 uh, beating the, the drums with those sticks, and he's been out with Billy Idol, Cher, Stevie Nicks, and Pink. Please welcome amazing drummer Mr. Mark Schulman. Oh, Meredith, go on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Shall I continue? I mean, you you have so many yeah, different things. Yeah, and- it's going so well. Why stop here? You keep going. I'll interview you. <laughs> you're a public speaker. <laughs> you're an author. You're a blogger. You've got merchandise out on your uh, website, markshulman.com. I mean, you're a drummer extraordinaire. What what can't you do, buddy? Um, well, I, I, I don't have my own uh, uh, Meredith March show. <laughs> that's that's negotiable. It depends the price. If the price is right, that could be yours. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. I think you're doing a marvelous job. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. So let's talk about this career of yours. Um, You know, a lot of people that I have talked to, they get inspired by the Beatles. And you're another one. We're going to add you to this lovely list of people that have been inspired by the Beatles. So you saw the Ed Sullivan show, you watched the Beatles, and you kind of got pushed into this uh, a notion of what you wanted to do and become a drummer. Tell me about how that evolved a little bit. And how you first got started. Wow. 
Well, you know, as the story goes, as I've as I've told it many times, you know, essentially I was I drums chose me. I didn't choose drums. My mother said I was beatboxing before there was beatboxing, you know, in the sixties when I was born. Way back then in the in the sixties era. And, you know, we're, you know, we're all set to watch the Beatles. I had this vague idea of like the Beatles where I was such a little I was a lot barely three. I was totally transfixed. I saw John and George and Paul and I knew my life it would never be the same. And then I saw Ringo with that big, beautiful nose and the drumsticks. And <laughs> then I saw the screaming girls. And I'm like, that's it. I'm in. You're in. And then I wanted to play. And I wanted to play drums. And my mother said, no, can't you play a nice instrument like your brother, Randy? My brother played violin, right? Oh, so no. I was in his violin lesson. He was being taught by my Italian godfather. And then. There was a big violin in the corner, and I also said, I want to play that because it's big. And it turns out it was a cello. So I started playing cello. And then by nine years old, my parents couldn't deny my passion any longer um, because my, my, our, our teacher, my Uncle Ben, my godfather, would give me a drum lesson at the end of every cello lesson. And finally, it was undeniable. So then I, they bought me my first drum set. I still remember, and I wish I had it. It was a Slingerland Radio King drum set. And they bought it for me, and I never looked back, but I kept on playing cello as well. So cello gave me a really great sense of pitch. And I ended up playing cello on the Pink Tour again. Um, and and it, it was an amazing moment uh, for me. My, my, uh, my, 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 my parents lived to see me, you know, play cello in front of millions of people as well, not just uh, drums. Aww. But drums, was a, it was a calling for me because... I remember sitting in a set of drums when I was five years old in my neighbor's house and I could play. I just kind of know what to do. So <clears throat> I feel, excuse me, incredibly blessed and grateful that something grabbed, I came in to this lifetime with a predisposition, with, with a passion. And it was just up to me to nurture it. And God bless my parents, my, <laughs> my room growing up was next to theirs. So they would endure hours of drumming <laughs> right next to their bedroom. So I gave my parents all the kudos and credit in the world. And I just started playing bands at an early age. I did my first professional gig at 12. I was playing every weekend and making money. So my Jewish parents were very proud because, hey, mom's making money playing music oh, every weekend. Oh, hi, I'm in and Mazel was, Tov. You know. <laughs> and, then I, and then I also got a four-track tape recorder um, and early age and always recorded the bands and that's when my passion for production started because I've always been very interested in production and I was an assistant engineer and then an engineer at recording studios and I have my own recording studio with two of the greatest uh, partners on the planet um, Julian Coriel and Eric Goebel and um, so I just kept on playing in bands and practicing and playing and practicing and had my own original band in my 20s and we got very close we got a demo deal and then, you know, as, as it happens, you know, the lead singer quit the band and that's it. Original bands are very hard. They say if you can keep a band together for 10 years, you got a great chance of making it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like being in a, it's like being in a relationship with five significant others, you know. Wow. It's, it's a lot of work. I can't even and handle one. I, uh, I don't know how you handle five. And then I, yeah, well, I know, right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think I got, I got lucky this time around with my wife. <laughs> um and then, and then I, I have the chance to audition for a super group called Bad English. Nice. And I just, just destroyed that audition. I was so nervous and I was rushing and it was a horrible experience. 
at the time, but what I didn't realize, it was a defining moment for me because it kicked my butt and I actually made two promises after I horribly failed that audition. One was that I would, um, you know, no one would ever tell me that I'm speeding up or slowing down unless I want to speed up or slow down. So I spent a few years just mastering my own internal meter. My other promise was I'm going to bust my nerves and fear in a submission. And it was that was the moment I actually started writing that book because the book that I that I come out with that I published called A Conquering Life Stage Fright stemmed from 20 to 25 years of analyzing, studying, researching, networking, discovering until I un- uncovered my own set of of uh, rituals that I would use to bust through stage fright essentially and transform that into confident big performance. Did you and actually? Did you actually today. have? Did you have stage fright? Well, I failed that audition miserably because I was horribly nervous, had so much anxiety. You know, gotcha. You know, the, the, I could barely hold on to the sticks. You know, the the sweat was going in my eyes. It was it was it was pretty traumatic for me. Um, but I, I I learned so much over the course of the next many years. And then when I when I committed to writing the book. Um, The first thing I did was tell my wife, Lisa, and then the first thing she did was tell me, that's great, honey. (laughs) Mm -hmm. She said, why don't you sort of run your concepts and ideas by some other top performers and thought leaders and team leaders in other businesses? And what a marvelous idea, because I ended up interviewing over 50 people um, from all areas of life. People like Tony Shea, the CEO of Zappos, Guy Fieri, the super chef astronaut Alan Bean, actor Jeremy Piven. Wow. And so I got this cross-section of how all successful people that perform in a variety of different contexts, because I look at everything as a performance, by the way. That's my musical metaphor that I use for my corporate speaking. Of course. We're all performers. So I got the input from so many different people and the endorsements of the core concepts of the book. And so I think it's quite a formidable um, force. And, and I worked hard. I was quite proud. It's, as, as anybody that's listening knows, writing a book is a challenging thing. It really requires an enormous amount of tenacity and commitment to actually finish. And I wrote mine on the book. I mean, on the road. I wrote my book on the road. First, I was out with Foreigner. Then I was out with Pink. And it, I just, you know, on days off. And I remember some inspiring moments. Like I was in Paris with Foreigner playing a gig. And I walked to the Eiffel Tower with my iPad. And literally slide down on the ground right below the Eiffel Tower and just type for three hours, you know? Let's let's talk <laughs> about that for a minute because this is what I love to dive into. I love to do the whole behind-the-scenes stuff. You know, uh, people have this idea that touring is this glamorous life. And while it has some glamorous aspects to it, I mean, the real reality of touring is it's grueling, it's tiring, and you actually have a lot of downtime because you're on a tour bus or you're on a plane and traveling takes a lot of time. So a a lot of musicians like yourself have some ability to be able to take the time to write a book or do a blog or do another business venture. Tell me about when you were writing this book and then, you know, you were going to Paris and writing on your iPod and stuff. I mean, tell us about that whole aspect of touring and being able to do that? Well, what I tell people is I don't get paid for being on the road. I get paid for being apart from my family. So the most challenging thing for me is 
how much I miss my daughter and my wife mm-hmm. and that time apart. Because being on the road, it can be grueling, but for the most part, I still really enjoy it because I'm being paid to be on stage for an hour and a half playing with the greatest artist on the planet. And the rest of the time is all geared up and all based around that. Sometimes the travel is very grueling, but we have so many people on the planet that travel. So, you know, business people travel, um, entrepreneurs travel. There's, there's so many people that travel. So that's not new to most people. I actually have, if you use your time wisely, I discovered early on that I could actually get things done on the road. And I joke when I'm, I get more, more done on the road when I'm, than when I'm home. So when I'm home, I want to spend time with my wife and kids and I'm running a speaking business. And, um, you know, there's a lot to do. I have a studio, I do production, I do sessions. When I get on the road, I actually have time. So if, if I'm disciplined, then I get up in the morning, I do, I, I, I do a workout, I have breakfast or lunch, and then I can spend quite a few hours writing, create, creating, taking care of business. Um, and then we do our sound check in the late afternoon, and then we have another three hours off before we play. So there's a lot of downtime. You can use it wisely. And I, and I do. And I think that's the difference between what people's perception of being on the road. They think it's, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And the truth is, like, we have to be in, I'd stay in really good shape, you know, because I'm playing for an hour and a half. And Clem Burke, the drummer from Blondie, did a study that showed that a drummer playing an hour and a half to two hours of, you know, burning a lot we burn as many calories as a professional soccer player professional football player so i need to stay in shape it's true you (laughs) really do you do you have a very active job it's the balance yeah it's the balance so i like to get things done on the road and 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 when my family comes out we travel we get to see magnificent stuff i'll never forget our uh stylist yvette bb her daughter bb is now i think 17 but when bb was like seven she traveled with her mom. She took a semester off. Her mom homeschooled her. And at one point, they called and did a video chat or a Skype chat with the class that she wouldn't have been in because the class was studying Rome. And BB was in Rome. Cool. So, See, you that's know, cool. There's a lot of advantages to this gig. And, 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 you, and with your family as well. And, and this is such a family-oriented tour because Pink's got her kids and my daughter's friends with her daughter. And so it's really lovely in that respect. Nothing could be farther from the, from the drugs part of it, you know. Oh, Certainly. yeah, I, I expect nothing <laughs> like shape. that my on boss, this tour. Especially my boss, has, my boss is the most committed and disciplined and, and health-oriented person when she's on the road because she needs to be. That's part of her brand. It's true, yeah. She can't be doing all that, that crazy and challenging physical uh, stuff if she's like out of shape and partying every night you know right tell me about pinky's family because it seems like you know for those of you that don't know uh pinky's family is a uh as a name that they've kind of dubbed themselves it's all the members of the of the pink band and it is a family and that's what they have out on twitter and instagram and facebook tell me how close-knit you guys really are well, let's make a few corrections. Pinky's family is my buddy, Don Benedetto, who's created a web presence for the band. Yeah. And we love Don. And Don is really wonderful about promoting 
specifically the band, the singers and the dancers, what we're all doing in addition to what our boss is doing, because our boss obviously gets a lot of promotion. Yes. Yeah. So that's Pinky's family. Now, yes. the, the, the Pink family, we are a family. We love each other. You know, the newest member is Eva. She's been in the band 10 years. Adriana came back. She'd been in the band 14 years. Jason's been in the band 17 years. Justin and, uh, has been in the band almost 12. And then Jenny and Stacey have been in the band for 11 years. So we love each other. And, and we owe it all to uh, our boss for recognizing the value of keeping the family together. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we also are so committed to our performance with our boss that there's no slacking a lot on this tour. <laughs> <laughs> No, it is a, it is a heavy production based tour. Um, you know, when when you think about and I've seen so many concerts, it's very different when you guys go to, when you go to a foreigner concert and see you perform with foreigner as opposed to seeing you perform with pink. I mean, people really get a show. Um, you know, foreigners music based where, you know, it's not a lot of production but pink has a lot of production. Does she do still do the flying around and the acrobatics and things like that oh yeah and and the show next year is going to be unprecedented tell it's me about be t- an, an, ex, an expansion i can't really tell you about it you just gotta wait to see it beautiful beautiful <laughs> trauma tour uh trust me i have two little 11 year old girls sitting behind me that are like dying to meet you and dying to come to the show uh, oh, well um you know and I, I, that would be my pleasure <laughs> I mean, they're absolutely, they're so excited. Um, do you guys want to say hi to Mark real quick? Hi. Say hi. What's up? What's up, ladies? He it's says, a pleasure to up? meet you. Your mom, your mom rocks, by the way. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> they say thank you. That's Casey and Parker. They're 11-year-old twins. Um, you know, so you have a lot of kids coming to your show. It's a very mixed audience. Um, can you give us, like, Okay, you don't have to tell us about the beautiful trauma tour per se, but can you give us like maybe a little tiny glimpse as to the difference of this tour as opposed to other tours? You know, I'd love to, but yeah, frankly, you're under, I don't know yet. It's, you're a, under little, it's a little key. too soon to <laughs> it's a little little too soon for even me to talk about it. Okay. Um, <laughs> we are under lock and key. But that's you know, look, it's you know that when you go to a pink tour, you're going to, you're going to witness unprecedented performance Yeah, because that's part of her brand. That's just who she is. And she takes great pride in the fact that she sings live while doing everything. Mm -hmm. She'll never sing the track. And she, you know, pushes herself to her limits. I, I would say everybody that I've ever met that has ever seen a pink show Unequivocally says that she's the greatest female performer that has ever lived. And I agree. And it's not just because I play with her because I love her, but she is all that. She works harder than anybody. And there are some amazing shows and the production is very competitive. And you'll see, if you go see Katy Perry, you'll see a very, very production rich experience. Lady Gaga as well. Taylor Swift, of course. These are all amazing shows. And Pink has her own brand, but the only difference is that um, she actually does the stunts herself. Yeah, and that's a big difference. It's so amazing. We got to give her amazing amounts of credit, and she always wants to reinvent. She knows that she that her audience will not be satisfied simply seeing the same old thing. I mean, there are some greatest hits, so to speak, things that she will always do 
<laughs> like what she does with 360 gyro and so what that's become a standard but that's also very special because she gets to actually fly around the audience and connect the people in the back of the room mm-hmm. and that's really special not only from the performance standpoint but from the connection standpoint and from the experience of the audience that's a really wonderful and dedicated and um uh, experiential thing that most people aren't going to get unless they're in the front row or the first five rows so it's a wonderful thing I personally think that a drummer like yourself on a huge production tour, uh, such as Pink, has one of the best seats in the house. Do you agree? Because you get to see everything. Well, I've got the I, I, look. I've got the best seat in the house. Yeah. Let's let's. You know, I I don't mean to brag. No, brag. Come on. This is we, why I brought I you on a, here. But you know, it's funny because I, I, I. Well, we all get to see everything from the stage, and our viewpoint from the stage is very, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I just feel like the most, the most grateful man on the planet when I'm on that drum riser and she's standing on that riser in front of me, just belting out those amazing vocals. Let's face it. You take all of her acrobatics away and she just has one of the greatest instruments ever. She's one of the most fabulous singers. No doubt. It's amazing. She's always, always extraordinary. Always. It's really profound. Um, and so just to be able to perform with her, with, with that brilliant instrument and, and her songs, her insights, her lyrics, it's quite a place to be. Quite a place to be. I, 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 I am, you know, her nickname for me is Disneyland. <laughs> because <laughs> Why is that? She says, I remind her, I, I, remind, I, I, I remind her to tap into her gratitude. She's a very grateful woman, and we all celebrate very similar viewpoints when it comes to gratitude and really taking the time to stop and appreciate what, what, what not only what we have, but what we've created together. So I am, I tap into that, that gratitude muscle as often as I possibly can, as often as I remember, and I remember a lot. You do. And it's tough to, to remember all of these songs with all of the bands that you've played with. Tell me, Besides Pink, because we know right now this is like your favorite thing ever, but besides Pink, what artist stands out to you that you really enjoyed getting on stage with every single night? If you had That's to pick one. That's a great one. question. You know, there, there are things that I've enjoyed about every artist because every artist has a unique expression and my position and what I get to play is unique with every artist. You know, Billy Idol, I'm playing these really fast grooves, and it's just, and I love playing really punk stuff the most, because a lot of people don't know he's one of the original punkers, punk rock singers. He's had a band called Generation X before mm-hmm. he was Billy Idol. Yeah. And I love playing the Generation X stuff. So Billy was great to play with. I played with an R&B artist named Bobby Caldwell, who had a song, What You Won't Do, Do For Love. Oh, yeah. And he was this little, this little mousy white guy, <laughs> and they kept is visual to a secret. They released a single as a as a red see-through heart-shaped record on Valentine's Day, and they debuted him at the Apollo Theater in New York, and it was an all-black audience, and he walked on stage, this little mousy white guy, and, the, and as the story goes, I wasn't there, the audience was like, WTF? You know? And then he just started singing, and they realized this guy is so soulful. So I love playing with him. Love playing with Simple Minds. Um, the share gig is amazing 
Uh, my buddy Jason Sutter has taken over for me because I'm just too busy with Pink. But Sharon Pink, I do both of those gigs when I can. And a Sharon gig is amazing because I get to play literally six decades of music. And I love the diversity of that. Oh, it's so much fun. So that's mm. incredibly fun, incredibly fun. And, um, of course, my first tour was with Brenda Russell. And I'll always have a fondness oh. in my heart for Brenda. And that was just magnificent playing with her. She's a amazing soul singer and writer. Yes, she is. And then I, then I, then I did six weeks with Velvet Revolver substituting for Matt Storm playing Ozfest. That was a rush. It's crazy playing with Slash and Duff and, hmm. you know, Scott Wideland, rest in peace, brother. Yes. You know, that was a rush playing with in front of this, like, 25,000 hard rock heavy metal fans all going, dude. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so that is like the sex, drugs, and rock and roll tour right there. And then you go to Pink, which is, like, totally opposite of that. Right. Yeah, except everybody, everybody, except everybody's sober. Everybody's sober. <laughs> it's still a party, but it's just a, it's a sober party. Okay, I, I read. Yeah, well. I, I have to geek out for just one second. You know, I don't get starstruck very often, but whenever I see this guy's name pop up, I get the goosies. I'm not going to lie. And um, it's happened to me lately where I've talked to a few people that have collaborated with him. But did I read correctly that you collaborated with Mr. Dave Cause? Oh, Dave's a dear friend of mine. Oh, stop! I can't. I have to like. I'm a little schoolgirl crush I, I, right I've now. No, I've known Dave <laughs> since I've known Dave since 1988. Oh my gosh! I mean, we haven't we haven't we haven't collaborated. I played on some of his records. We've done a bunch of sessions together. I did a lot of tours with him. I did his smooth jazz Christmas tour in '98, <sighs> and I interviewed him for my book. And he's all that. He's one of the loveliest men on the planet. I can't say give him give him enough accolades. So if you go Aga over Dave. You've made a good choice. Oh, I love, <laughs> I love Dave Koss. I really, I mean, Mike, Mikey, come on. My, my producer knows how much do I love Dave Koss. Great stuff. <laughs> Great stuff. <laughs> okay, so. Well, you know, he, 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 you know, as I say, he's lovable. He's truly lovable. He seems like the sweetest person, you know? but I just, I really truly love, I love saxophone music and I love his stuff. So it's always like, I go a little, you know, I don't, I don't usually get like that, but I do get a little blushed in the cheeks when I talk about him. <laughs> So tell me. Oh, um, uh, well, you know, I, 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 yeah. would, I would imagine that of all people, I could easily get you a Dave Cause autograph or something from Dave. Yeah, oh, I'm okay. sure he'd be delighted. I think I, I'm going to pass out now. All the hair is just standing up on end yeah. on her arms now. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, well, no, Dave, Dave, I'm sure Dave, Dave would be delighted to, uh, I, I'm sure he'd be delighted to, I, I just send me an email and I'll, I'll make sure that. He sends you something memorable. Yeah. I'm sure he'd be happy. We're to gonna do that. we're gonna get him on this show. That's what we're gonna do. I need to talk to him because we need to go over some jazz stuff. You know, we're gonna get him. I'm I'm telling well, you, you. Well, you should. I mean, I'll tell him that too. <laughs> I'll I'll, I'll, uh, I'll I can do my best to at least create a nice a, a nice introduction for you. That's amazing. Thank you. I love you for that. Really, I do. And I love sure. you anyway because you're just incredible. You know what you do. Tell me. Um, Tell me about oh, your so <laughs> tell me about your dream collaboration. Who do, who haven't you worked with that you're like dying to do something with? Well, you know, I'm I uh, I'll give you a hint. I just bought I just at an auction just bought a signed bass by him. Oh, I saw that. Oh, who was it? Hold on a minute. I just saw it and I liked it. I liked your post. Who was it? No, it could be that hard to figure out. The greatest <sighs> rock band ever on the planet um gosh i'm blanking here 
Chip, come on, tell me the name. Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney, yes. <laughs> Goes right back to his roots. <laughs> Going back to your roots. How did I not get that? Yes, Paul McCartney. Okay, yeah. yes. Dream, of course, dream collaboration right there. You reposted it. I, that's why I remember. Yeah, so did that, I that would be that'd be that'd be quite magnificent. Oh, what would you do? What would you want? Like, what kind of music would you want to do with Paul McCartney? I'm curious. Oh, I just want to, I just want to play with McCartney. Oh, you pull a Dave Grohl and just let him I walk mean, in the studio, right? <laughs> well, I mean, in in any capacity, because he's you know he's just represents the master of masters. Yeah. Oh, funny. Brenda Russell just sent me uh just sent me uh, a video from back in the day. Oh wow. <laughs> we'll have to share that too. Tell me, Mark, if I flew out to LA tomorrow and you picked me up at the airport in your car, what is in your CD player right now? What are you listening to these days? Oh, in my seat. In my CD player, yeah, I'm oh, gonna I go old everything. school. I mean, it, for, for me, it's like this total cross section. I mean, I'm most of the time I'm I'm listening to uh, POTUS or MSNBC when I'm in the car. But when my daughter's in the car, where my it's it's free. my daughter um, is uh, a huge Pink fan, which is ironic. So she always wants to hear the new record. So even listening, like I'm getting tired of the new record. That's how much we've heard it. <laughs> Um, and you know, we, I, 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 you know, we're, the families are big fans of the struts and, you know, my, my, oh. my friend Butch Walker just produced their new record. So we're struts fans. Nice. And, um, I try to like, I try to like listen to, um, you know, modern, modern alternative playlists. So I'm kind of up on, you know, like what, what's happening with modern rock. And then I'll listen to anything from like, you know. Beck's Beck's new record or, or or Beck's last record to like Buddy Rich to like Miles Davis to Tower of Power Ooh. to I, I I love the I love the Dirty Loops um to uh, like you know Meters or old any kind of old soul to uh, um you know I'm trying to turn my daughter onto some you know different bits of rock like we're listening to a lot of Aerosmith lately nice. You know? Are you listening to like old, are you doing like old Aerosmith? Cause I'm like, I did old Aerosmith with the girls and then we were, uh, we were probably hitting like the early nineties Aerosmith. I was playing them. Uh, yeah, well, well, we, we, like she's been digging dude looks like a lady. Uh I mean, she's seven. So when she likes a song, she wants to hear it Mm -hmm. 25 times in a row, just like I did when I was her age. (laughs) So I'm like, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to get her like, trying to work her way, work her back to sweet emotion. Um, uh, oh. and, uh, she hasn't heard, walk, she hasn't even heard walk this way yet. That'll oh, be wow. next. Okay. So I'm kind of working her back. Trying to get her, you know, she kind of likes loving an elevator, you know, hopefully he doesn't understand anything about what's going on with it, you know, cause we don't want that, Thank but you know, yeah. you know, it's amazing. Um, you know, the kids listen and, and it's a huge difference from seven to 11 Lyrically, they're starting to understand more now, which really terrifies me. I'm not going to lie. So, Mark, you have a few more years before you hit to the place where I am, where she starts to understand stuff. And then you're going to start to monitor. (laughs) Because when they're seven, you're like, you know, they kind of make up words and they don't know the lyrics or they don't know what it means. And now it's like, um, we're going to change the channel now. 
This is making me really uncomfortable. Right. Mm-hmm. Tell me uh, <laughs> my favorite thing to ask people, and I'm going to ask you as well. You get to tour the world. You get to see so many different places. When you get home and you're tired and you look at your wife and you say, we need a vacation, where do you go? Well, my favorite place on the planet is Kauai. Mm. But we haven't been there for five, like five years. <laughs> <laughs> vacation. That's that's a that's a that's a um, precarious word in, in my in my world my existence because um, you know when I get home the last thing I want to do is go away mm-hmm. so I, I just want to be with my family just hanging out we'll go uh, we'll do little driving vacations sometimes we'll drive up to Monterey and then you know we're always flying to uh, my wife's Swedish so. We fly to Europe a lot. They fly to Europe a lot without me. My daughter's been on 188 flights. Wow. She's seven. Wow. So, um, yeah. So it's it's kind of like we, uh, we travel so much and, and we make, we, we do a lot of work occasions because I go on the road. Like I, I, we, we did this amazing festival tour this, this summer with pink and the girls came out for a couple of weeks and we just had so much fun. We were in Budapest. We were in Berlin for a couple of days. We were in London. Of course we were in Sweden for a while. So, you know, we, we make the most of it. Um, but it's mostly revolved around daddy's work, mm-hmm. so to speak, you know, mm-hmm. when you're traveling and you go to all of these different venues, let's, let's talk about venues for a second. Are are there a couple of venues that stand out to you where you're like sitting at the drums and you're looking out and you're going, this is amazing. This is like one of the best venues I've ever been in. Does anything stand out? Well, there are definitely a few of those moments. I mean, Wembley in London was definitely one of those moments. When we played Isle of Wight with McCartney, um, that was a moment. Like <laughs> <laughs> that. Um we're actually going to be playing one of my bucket lists, and it's going to sound funny, but I grew up in Los Angeles. I've never played the Forum. Like, I've done award shows and I've done rehearsals, but I've wow. never played at the Forum because the Forum, when I was a kid, is where we went to see all the shows. Yeah. You know, so I played Staples Center and Honda Arena and the place in Ontario. So we're actually going to play the Forum. So that's very bucket listy for me. Nice. And, uh, there have just been some really marvelous, marvelous audiences that have stood out, like in Budapest was marvelous. You know, I, with Simple Minds, I played Glastonbury. We played for 225,000 people. <laughs> and, Peter, and Peter Gabriel was standing on the side of the stage watching the show. Cool. That was special. I couldn't even see the end of the audience. That was, that was special. So uh, we know that Dave Koz gives me goosebumps. You know, just the name just gives me goosebumps. What in your career has given you goosebumps? Oh, man. I love this question. I stump people sometimes. Yeah, it's a great question. Well, that Glastonbury show gave me goosebumps. Um, I've had goosebumps a lot with Pink. Certain shows, certain... uh, we did um, 
when we when we shot the Wembley DVD, the first DVD we shot, that was that was really special for me. That gave me goosebumps. Can you tell Playing me about Saturday it? Saturday Night Live last month gave uh-huh. me goosebumps. Yeah. I've never done I've done every show multiple times and never done Saturday Night Live. That was special. But that was live, baby. Yeah, that's live. You know, we're rarely taping we're rarely, you know, doing anything in front of millions of people live these days. Um and actually playing, you know? Yeah. So that was brilliant. I gave me goosebumps. I could go on and on. I get goosebumps <laughs> a lot. But I'll stop again. That's good enough to hold on to that. Tell me about when you go into a recording <laughs> studio with Pink. Um, who are you guys in a recording studio as opposed to being on stage? How are you guys a little different in the recording studio? Yeah, it, it, it doesn't really work that way. I've actually been in, well, I've been in a recording studio with her once. But for the most part, when I've recorded any stuff for her, it's either been in my studio and I'm just recording the drum tracks or we've been in another studio and we record together. Like as an example, we're going to be recording um, some stuff for her this weekend in, in uh, a really amazing studio in Los Angeles. But I don't think she'll be there. Generally, when we're recording the music, she isn't there. Okay. Yeah, I've heard. It depends. I think everybody's different. Some people do it separately, and some people like to get together and do it. Okay, that's cool. I think if it's a band, if if it's a band, then it's different than a solo artist. Yeah. <laughs> About your public speaking, rock your mindset philosophy. Can you just touch on that a little bit? Sure. Well, as I said earlier in the interview, music is such an amazing metaphor for performance for all businesses, all areas of life. So my newest program that I've been just doing recently is on my website. It's called Hacking the Rockstar Attitude. And it's based on the fact that so many things happen to us that we can't control. But we can control our attitudes about what happened to us. Mm-hmm. And you, as an example, have the, have the power right now to shift, control, decide on your attitude in a moment's notice. It's enormously powerful because your attitude is where you're looking from. It's your viewpoint. Where you're looking from really affects and determines what you see. And that's what determines the behavior. That's what drives your behavior. And the behavior is what determines the consequences of your life. So that's the ABCs of top performance, attitude, behavior, consequence. So I base my new program on that. And it's really exciting because top performers in any business know this intuitively, but understanding the mechanism and really understanding that you can decide on your attitude and that is going to shift the way you experience things, change behavior, and therefore change the consequences of your output, so to speak. And then while I do my corporate gigs, that's the foundation of it. But I tell a bunch of road stories and play drums and talk about King, talk about Billy Idol, talk about my own experiences of overcoming challenges and how attitude made a difference, how how your attitude and give people examples. And then I give people examples of specific attitudes that they can latch onto in a moment's notice that are going to change their experience Hmm. and change their output, change their consequences. And I'm very high energy. I call it a rock show disguised as a keynote. (laughs) (laughs) 
and I've worked, I've, I've spoken for everybody lately from American Express, um, Walmart, the American Staffing Association, the Rolls Royce of Diamonds, Hearts on Fire, wow. the inter- International Real Estate Management. I mean, I talk to everybody because everybody is a performer. Mm-hmm. Every single thing you do in your life, every word you say, every sentence, every text, every tweet is not only a reflection of what you do, but a reflection of who you are. And my philosophy is how we do anything is how we do everything. So all these little performances determine your experience and your productivity and your output. And that's what I'm there to do. I'm there to get people to increase productivity, increase communication, have a clear understanding of how, not just what they do, but how they do it and why they do it. And I tap into some very emotional, personal stories in my own life that have motivated me. And, you know, we, we often learn some of our biggest bits of information from our mistakes and from our challenges. Mm-hmm. So I'm not shy to talk about my challenges. I'm very open about that. Can you share one of your challenges that you like to talk about in your uh, speeches? Sure. I'll share, I'll share a private one with you. Okay. You know, about a month ago, I um, went in for an endoscopy, which is when they, you know, stick that uh, camera down your throat. Um, but they were not only sticking the camera down my throat, they were going to do, um, uh, take samples and do a biopsy of uh, stuff on my esophagus and in my belly. And this mm-hmm. is my third endoscopy. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, there's nothing less, there's nothing less sexy than being on stage in front of 50,000 people with such horrible heartburn. <laughs> you feel like you're, you're having a heart attack. Right. And I was scared. I was lying on that bed. I was lying on a hospital bed. And the IV in my, in my arm. And they were going to put me under. And they were going to biopsy my belly and my esophagus. And I don't know about you, but being put under scares me. I love to be in control. And I've got a seven and a half year old daughter and I was really freaking out yeah. right before the anesthesiologist was going to get there. And I thought, okay, brother, it's time to step into your attitude shifting. Same thing you talk about. So I tapped into what I call my attitude's greatest tips. Very first thing I did and the last thing I wanted to do in that moment, I did it anyway. If I just forced a smile, the funny thing is when you, have a fake smile within five seconds it turns real <laughs> and you can't stop and I was smiling actually because I studied it when I wrote my book it changes your chemistry yeah it shifts your chemistry when you smile yeah. the way you think about things the way your behavior is your consequences that sort of opened up the floodgates so there I am lying on this journey smiling <laughs> and then I tapped into attitude number two of my greatest tips which is that I do not have to be there I get to be there and it's a little shift that can create a profound difference in the way you experience something. Because a have-to feels like a chore and a get-to feels like a choice. A have-to feels like you're the effect of something. Get-to feels like you're the cause. And all of a sudden, I started thinking of all these things. I get to find out what's going on to me. I get to be knowledgeable and have clarity about my condition. I get to then treat my condition. I get all of this. I got to choose my doctor. And then... 
that inspired the next attitude's greatest tip, the trio, which is, I already spoke about it already, which is gratitude. That's why Payne calls me Disneyland. Because I learned something years ago from a psychiatrist, believe it or not, Toby, think about this. You cannot have a positive and negative conscious thought at the same time. That's a powerful thought when you analyze it. Yeah. And so by choosing gratitude, you are literally shifting your focus from what you lack to what you have. You're focusing on the fuel, the money in the bank, the fuel in the tank. It's focusing on what you're grateful for. And right when I just started thinking, man, I'm grateful for my kid. I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to get this information. I'm grateful for the technology, for the science that's enabling me to find out what's going on. And I, and I, I bet the only patient, maybe the only patient in history, probably the only patient in that last month that got knocked out by an anesthesiologist with a big smile on his face. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I woke up an hour later. So my wife's beautiful smile, and there was nothing sinister. Yeah, I did have an inflamed esophagus, esophagus, but the doctor changed my medication, changed my diet, and I'm doing just great. Oh, good. So that's that's an example of how one can shift one's attitude and experience even challenging and traumatic things with a very, very different attitude and a different behavior and a different consequence. That's very close to hypnosis. It is. Well, yeah, it is close to hypnosis. The last time that I had surgery, uh, right before they stuck the, or as they were sticking the needle in me, I looked up and I smiled and I looked at my doctor and I said, I love you. <laughs> and then I passed out. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Do yeah. a good job. Or I love that you. was really smart because you not only changed things for you, you shifted his attitude. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I guess it was and just, so you that know. drives different behavior. Because you know, that, he probably did something different. You might have done something with just the slightest bit more concentration or love or care. Yes. And this lady, what you just said to him. And this lady's got a heartwarming smile. That, <laughs> oh, thanks. Right. Thank and that you. Was, and that and that was real. I mean, mine was real. As I said, I, I went, went went out with a smile on my face. I probably woke up with a smile on my face. You know, they <laughs> stuck. Well, they could they could have pulled the smile out by sticking the tube down my mouth. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I wasn't there. I was asleep. <laughs> yeah, it's probably they're probably looking at you like, hmm, he's really happy to get a good night's sleep right now or get a little nap right now. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. So uh, we're gonna wrap things up with you. It's been amazing having you on the show. And I thank you so much for, you know, giving us some time today. I'm excited, you know, you guys are gonna kick off this beautiful trauma tour in 2018. And I'm psyched, man. Kids behind me, kids, are you psyched? Yes, you are. Yeah, we're going to have to figure this out. So thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate it. And uh, good luck on the tour, buddy. Oh, Meredith, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for the honor of being on your show and being able to communicate with you and hang out with your kids. How cool is that? Yeah. My kids get to see what I do. And they, I mean, look, they had a choice of staying home with a puggle puppy or coming and chatting with you for a couple of minutes. And they go, we're coming and chatting with him. They think you're really neat. That's awesome. That's perfect. I love it. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again. Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate it. Well, he was fun and animated and pumped up. I like his energy. Wasn't he energetic, Mikey? Well, he's three hours behind us. Lucky. He's, my son might have been shining still. <laughs>
Lucky. <laughs> Me, I'm like, oh, it's the end of the day. Where's my pillow? <laughs> no, he was so much fun to talk to. So thank you so much, Mr. Mark Schulman, for coming on the show. Um, oh, my God. I still have goosies from mentioning Dave Cause. I won't even get into that. It's crazy. Anyway, we're up to the segment of our show where we di- we highlight a Baltimore-based band or an original band or musician from Baltimore. And I guess it was about a month ago, I got a call from my friend Dave Carberry, who said, hey, let's go to the Baltimore Ravens football game. And then let's go to the Federal Hill Festival where my friend Jenny Lee is performing. Um, Do you know Jenny Lee? And I said, I do not know Jenny Lee, but I can't wait to know Jenny Lee. Let me tell you something. I am so glad that I went with Dave to the Federal Hill Festival. Mikey, you missed it. This girl gets on stage. Okay. And she blows me away. It was ridiculous. So she was born and raised in Baltimore she moved out to Nashville. She is a emerging on the rise country sensation. I'm telling you, somebody's got to pick her up because she's really, really good. Um, I don't even know. Sometimes like I, I listen to her stuff and and then I listen to her live and I'm like, I can't tell the difference because she's so good live, but like so much fun to watch. You know, when you're watching somebody on stage, right? she was just you know, real spirited and um, full of energy in life and really just, you know, took that stage by storm. So here we go. Baltimore-based girl who is now in Nashville, Tennessee. It's Miss Jenny Lee. It's Maryland. It's local. It's Baltimore. It's local flavor with Meredith Marks.
Let It Just Happen by Jenny Lee. Oh, I love that song. She wrote that and it's just beautiful. So uh, you can find her on Facebook at Jenny Lee Official, uh, JennyLeeMusic.com. And it's L-E-I-G-H, not L-E-E. So Jenny Lee, go look her up. Um, she is somebody to definitely put on your radar and watch because that one is going to be someone big at some point. Love her. Thank you so much again to Mr. Mark Schulman for coming on the show. Um, he was so much fun to talk to. And then make sure you come back for episode 13, man. We've got some fun stuff that we're going to throw your way. The entire fun-filled experience of Michael McDonald at the Warner Theater in Washington, D.C. with musical guest Mark Cohn. I sat down with both of them, and that's coming your way on episode 13. We're going to close out tonight with a Mark Schulman original written for his daughter. Here is Zade's Playground. You've been hanging backstage with Backstage Pass and Meredith Marks. Now get your ass off the tour bus. This is a big-timing comedy production.